0: guys miss me? (laughs) Where are you going? I said that to the 9 o'clock service and there was silence, awkward silence. (laughs) Wait a second. How can we miss you if you won't go away? Dad, you should talk after the story you just told me about Reno. (laughs) No, no, that sounded bad, didn't it? (laughs) I probably should explain that, huh? He thought he had a meeting in Reno, did not. So driving four hours there to drive four hours back. But anyway, sorry about that. No, I, uh, it's great to be back. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's just uh, my trip was wonderful. It's always, it's always, tra- how can traveling not be good? Uh, but I did find that, you know, six degrees as a high is hard for me now. You know, my my joints and you, you walk out and it stings your face and I just remember thinking, ah, Bakersfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the things we may say about it, you know. <laughs> anyway, if you have a Bible with me, turn me to Luke chapter 6 and uh, we're going to go ahead and start a new series this morning called Essential Ingredients. It's not necessarily a getting back to the basics of Christianity. Uh, because not every essential ingredient is basic and and not necessarily every basic thing is essential but there are some core uh, components to the Christian faith some core um, I don't know I guess foundations that are really crucial crucial to not only uh, being a Christian but producing fruit that lasts and of course, the first one we're going to be talking today is, is purpose. Uh, one of the things that that Jesus really came to do was to talk and challenge and define in our humanity, in our broken humanity, what our purpose is. We are naturally born with a lot of you know uh, purposes that can go in a lot of different ways. And, and of course, you ask somebody what's their purpose, and sometimes you you get a really blank statement, you know, and. and And there can be a lot of different things around it. But the point is to really kind of look and examine, you know, what what the essentials are for Christianity and how those are important for us. So let's pray, Heavenly Father, as we open up our ears and hearts and minds to the Bible. I pray that you would uh, really help us to receive that seed you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember, <clears throat> I remember what I used to say a short time ago, it's becoming longer and longer with every year I get older, but uh, I was 22, so that was 18 years ago, a long time ago now, uh, and I was working for a developing company, a, uh, how do I say it? a developer, uh, in between Seattle and Everett. Uh, Everett is a big town in Washington, Seattle is the biggest town in Washington, and right in between there was a developer company that I was working for in conjunction with a real estate. And I remember it was kind of like my first, you know, real job. I mean, I, you know, I, I quit Papa Murphy's for this one. You know, it was, it was like, you know, it was like, you know, oh man, that was a great day when I quit. Anyway, so that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is I was working for this developer, and all of a sudden we got so much volume. Some land came available. We, you know, we got 15 more agents, and just our office was booming and zooming, and I remember thinking, yeah, and I, was, I was making money, I'm making great money, you know? And all of a sudden, the, the broker of the, of the real estate agent and, and the owner of the developing company, she came up to me and she said, you know what? Uh, there's too much work for you to do by yourself. You're gonna, We're gonna budget for you. You gotta hire some staff. I'm gonna give you three full-time staff. I remember thinking, Yes! <laughs> Help! Actually, my first thought was, "I'm going to be the boss." <laughs> There's going to be someone who says, "Oh, I know Tom Nacky, and he's my boss." You know, I never had that before. I was 22 years old. You know, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to be the leader." And so, I, but I remember I started interviewing all these people, and I didn't know who to pick. It was kind of confusing. You know, they're all. Some of them were good. Some of them were not so good. Some of them were, you know. And none of my friends wanted to work with me. That should have told me something right away. But, you know, none of my friends wanted the job, so uh, they probably didn't want to work for me is more the truth. But I remember I went to my broker, and I said, you know, how, how do I make this decision? I really don't know who's going to work out well and who's not. I mean, I could hire somebody and have to end up letting them go after a month because they just turn out to be a total doofus. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, and this is how she said it. She said, I don't know where I heard this or what it is, but I just know that this statement has always helped me. I said, What is it? She said, A tree is known by its fruit. I said, I know where that comes from. It comes from the Bible, you know? She's like, Oh, really? You know, yeah, you know, that's a great statement. And she said, If you want to know something about somebody in their life and their purpose, follow their fruit. That's why you got to call on all those references. That's why you got to. You know, get that resume, comb it over real good. Talk to people who know them, who know them, who know them, who know them. So that you can find out what kind of fruit that they've borne. Because when you're going to interview somebody, you're not just wanting to ask them, what are you going to do? But it's what have you done? And have you done it well? In Luke chapter 6 is where we get that statement. Let's go ahead and begin in verse 43, where Jesus says this. He says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. But every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. But a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ooh, what a chilling sentence that Jesus says there. Out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks. If we were to reword this and just kind of see what formula Jesus is coming up here when it, it, talking about our purpose, the formula would be this Good trees bear good fruit, which brings good treasure, which brings God's blessing, right? Good trees. Bear good fruit, which brings good treasure. Now, if you look closely at Luke 6, where that phrase comes, the abundance of the heart, that is today what we would call our purpose. You know, uh, what is your purpose? I, 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 you know, The things that we fill our hearts with, that we allow our hearts to set desire on, that can quickly become the purpose of our life. So in many ways, Jesus is talking about what we would call today our purpose. We have two types of purposes. The first type is our idealized purpose. That's what we would want to have happen, or that's who we would want to be like, or that's kind of what we believe might be right. And then there is a realized purpose, what we actually do and what we actually believe, or what is actual reality. But there's the ideal, and then there's the real. For example, I was at a you know one of these uh, you know conferences for pastors oh, quite a few years ago and they were it was it was a conference that was supposed to teach us how to write a purpose statement a vision statement a mission statement I have never been good at this at all I mean, you know I start scrambling all my words And I, I get you know and I, it's not right and I got to change this and I got to it's just it it's it, it torturous for me to try to do this it's torturous for me to tell you about do this so so I'm. I, I, but I'm in there, and, and I remember she said, you know, okay, well, you start with your values. You know, I said, well, I value, you know, financial stability. And she looked at me and she goes, really? And I'm like, you know me, you know? What are you talking about, really? You know, and she got to say, oh, smug, really? No, it's a slapper. And so I said, yeah, I value financial stability. She goes, really? And I go, yes, I value financial stability. She goes, no, you don't. I'm thinking, man, this, you know. <sighs> and she said, if you value financial stability so much, why did you become pastor? And I, I, was about to speak until I realized she's right. My finances are completely on faith. You know, there's no stability in that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. It, you know, and, and I remember thinking to myself. It's a belief. I'd like to be that, but actually, in reality, I'm a huge risk taker when it comes to my finances. I don't think that's in me naturally. I think that's something you know that God doesn't do when he puts a call on your life and a and a purpose on your life. It, it kind of supersedes maybe some of your own natural inclinations or fears. But I remember thinking about that for the first time. You know what? I would like my purpose to be financial, instabil- or financial stability. But in reality, I do live a life of financial faith. Some instabilities here and there. Another another time I, I remember, you know, someone was saying that their purpose was to be in control. Yeah, you ever, yeah, you ever something? My purpose is to be in control. And yet, I mean when this person said this, I remember thinking, you're not in control. But I don't want to say that to them because the fact of the matter is, you know, they, they were an alcoholic, a uh, drug addict, a sex addict. You know, if their purpose was really to be in control, then how is it so obvious that so many other things were controlling them? I mean, if you're an alcoholic, alcohol controls you. You know, if you're a drug addict, drugs control you. You may not see it at first. It may not happen at step one. But by step 10, it is calling the shots. our purpose or the abundance of our hearts will be ultimately what the fruit of our lives produces. Uh, Sometime a few years ago at at my last church, I remember one of the other pastors on staff said, hey Tom, can you take this pastoral care meeting for me Uh, since you have sons, I have a daughter and you have sons and I don't think I can approach this meeting with a pure heart. And I remember, you know, saying, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I, I spaced out a lot then, and I, you know, I didn't really think about much. And, and uh, you know, and so I just, you know, whatever, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll have a quick meeting and get rid of him. Pastors never do that, no. <laughs> so, you know, I'll I just, I just, you know, I'll hear the guy out and then move on with my day. And, I, you know, it, it, this is really important. The other guy, I, it didn't really affect me that much. But then the day of, he's like, now remember, you got this meeting. Yes, okay, Craig, I got this meeting. I got it, you know, don't worry about it. I'll I'll figure out something, you know, I'll fit it in. So I show up, you know, we're in a private room and everything, and and he tells me, he says, says, today, he says, Pastor, I want to talk about purpose. And I could tell he was really broken up. He looked horrible. (laughs) He looked like Kirk, Kirk in his ratty bathrobe or whatever. whatever (laughs) He came in all disheveled. I could tell the guy was really, you know, really messed up about something. So I said, you know, what what are we going to talk about purpose? What's your purpose? What what do you mean purpose? And he said, well, he said, I'm going to tell you a story. When I was younger, my purpose in life was to score. Now, I did not know what that meant. So I'm thinking he's athletic. He's talking about (laughs) soccer goals or touchdowns or home runs. You know, I remember thinking, wow, I wonder if he's a professional athlete. I'll get an autograph. You know, I mean, I'm thinking all of this, you know, like he wants to score at his purpose. You know, he's going to say, oh, my purpose was to come and score goals for my team, but now I want to score goals for God. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. But as he began to talk, I realized that he meant score by getting women in his bed. And so he wanted to score every weekend, and, and, and he made it clear, you know, it was, it was a game. You know, Tried to get as many as he could in you know, one year, whatever. I, I don't know. He lived a life of just, you know, really what devolved into sexual addiction for him. And and he said, he looked at me and he said, Now, Tom, you do realize most men in the world, that is their purpose. They don't want to admit it. But, I mean, in the back of their mind, that is their purpose. They just, they just lived the of sex. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I looked at him and said, "Well, I'm a man, and uh, anyway, keep going on with your story." I, I didn't necessarily agree with him, and he looked at me and he said, "Well, here's the thing, you know, when you live this kind of life, you have this kind of purpose. Eventually, you're going to produce a child, you know." And, and he said, "I did, and my young daughter eventually wanted to know her dad, and so her mom, who I, you know, hadn't seen in years, she called me up, and I began to have a relationship." with my young daughter but I, I was still in this that was my purpose was to score and then I remember thinking uh oh I think I know where this might be going and he looked at me and he said you know one night she's 12 or 13 years old and I, I just went to go in and say goodnight to her she, she was staying the night and he said for just a brief moment there was some inappropriate conflict just a brief moment, and when I walked out of the room, and he he said, just seconds, but when I walked out of the room, I just fell on my floor. I couldn't move, I was catatonic. What, I remember remember thinking, what have I done? He says, destroyed my relationship with my daughter. It's completely messed me up. He said, but I know why it happened. My purpose caught up to me. My purpose caught up to me. And the female form had become something to look at, to touch, to enjoy. He said, and in that odd moment, I could not restrain with a person who I should have restrained from. The purpose had just caught up to me. And I remember thinking to myself, This is what Jesus meant when he starts talking about the abundance of the heart. When we fill our hearts up with things, it may not come to bite us that day. It may not come to bite us a year from now. But there will be some moment where we make the dumbest mistake we didn't even intend to make, but we make it anyway. Why? Because it begins to flow out of the abundance of our heart. Uh, another time, I was uh, directing a summer camp for the Seattle Fourth Churches, and in my youth group, we we were, we were one of the bigger ones, and we had two sisters in that group, and, and they were just both gorgeous young ladies, but but the older one worked at it a little more, and uh, and, and and I remember a lot of our youth leaders would say, you know. We need to sit down and talk to her because she really has a self-image thing. You know, she has to be prettier than everybody. She, uh, you know, we we would have like a youth football game, and she would just dress up like 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 a beauty doll. You know, we, we'd have a, you know, we we go out on a on a mission trip or something like that. She, you know, she'd be all decked out. That kind of stuff never registered much to me, but I remember one of my youth leaders said, you know, someone needs to talk to her so she she doesn't get it in her head and someday hurt somebody with her words. And I were thinking, ah, that's never going to happen. Well, we're at this camp, and her and her sister get into this big fight. And then all of a sudden, her sister's running across the camp, wants to go home. And so, I, you know, I, I, I finally, I get the, the older sister. I what happened? And she just started bawling right in front of me. She said, all of our lives, me and my sister have been compared." with our looks. In all of our lives, I've always had the upper hand. And I remember thinking, I can never hurt my sister with this. But we got mad, we got to fight, and it just flew out of my mouth. You don't take care of yourself, you need to work out more, you're ugly, all these things, and I just wanted to squash my little sister. And then after it was all over, she said, I stepped back and said, I just said what I never wanted to say to anybody. How could this happen? And I remember looking at her, saying, "Well, was that your purpose? I mean, did, did you? Is it true? I mean, is God revealing something that that would very much, you know, define who you were to be better than everybody?" And she looked at me. She said, "Honestly, Tom, not everybody. Just my sister." And I remember saying, "Well, I I, I don't understand that. I I because brothers don't really do that." But I said. Once again, I remember thinking, the abundance of the heart. Eventually, there can come a moment where we say what we don't want to say, do what we don't want to do, because we've allowed the abundance to become our realized purpose over the idealized purpose. Another time, there was a mother and a son. And I had known the mother from 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 another another context and her story was interesting because she was the youngest and her family was very argumentative who was right and who could prove their point and they debated every night at the dinner table and she was one of the worst you know, she she just couldn't hold a you know candle to her mom dad you know older brothers and sisters so she had always felt squashed, and then she graduated from high school, and she said in her heart, I am never going to be wrong again, I am never, I'm going to have the perfect house, I'm going to marry the perfect man, I'm going to raise the perfect children, I'm going to have the perfect life, and no one's going to come here come in here and say, Mary Ann, this is wrong, you need to fix this. And I remember she told me that. I remember jokingly about the first words out of my mouth were, you're doing a pretty good job, you know, because she didn't have all those things, you know, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and she said, well, let me tell you She brings her son in And her and her son are in a fight And she is trying to prove herself right to her son And she's enlisting me to be a part of her I don't know, her, her, her squad To help her get her son to realize That mom is right and he is wrong and Of course, I'm this kid's youth pastor so she thinks, good up, I do listen to the youth pastor. Right. And so we're in the meeting, and, you know, I kind of was ready to defend her at first, because she was so perfect in so many ways, and so nice, and helped me. And so, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, let's sell this. This won't take long. And then it became obvious. In this issue, A, not only should mom not be dealing with it, dad should, and B, she was really wrong. She was dead wrong. Trying to understand something she never could never understand. And so we're in this meeting, and I finally had to dismiss the son and say, look, I know for you being right is very important. But it's kind of becoming the purpose. You know? The abundance of needing to be right is defining you. And I'm telling you, so you're going to lose your son. You're going to lose him. He is not going to want to come home. He is not going to want to be around you. And she's like, but I can save him. But you're not called to save him. He's got to make some mistakes. He's got he to gotta learn like we all do in some <laughs> of those things. If he'll listen to you, great. If he won't, you can't ramp down there. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's from the person... No, anyway. <laughs> from the person who had a ramp. <laughs> but you, know, you, you, see, you see how quickly we can idealize a purpose and yet... In reality, our functional purposes uh, cannot bear the good fruit that we hope to. So if bearing good fruit is, is, is God's will for us, if producing fruit that lasts is what we can agree upon is a good thing, good trees, good fruit, good treasure, it's a nice destination, isn't it? But how do you get there? How do you get there? That's where we go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Luke says, And when a great multitude had gathered, they had come to him from every city. And he spoke by a parable. Verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, a farmer. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Verse seven: As some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up, it choked it. But others, other seeds, fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop, a hundredfold. And, and when he had said these things, he cried, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." And then if you skip down to verse 11, Jesus says the explanation of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are those who hear the word of God. But then the devil comes and takes away the word so they cannot see the truth of it anymore. Lest they should believe and be saved, is how Jesus said it. Verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but because they have no root, they believe for a while, but in time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard, they go out and get choked with the cares of life, the riches of life, the pleasures of life, the laziness of life, whatever of life. And no fruit comes to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit for repentance. Now, context is incredibly important for the story because this is in the midst of Jesus' first major, not confrontation, but first major engagement of the Jewish leaders of his day. Now, all of the, you know, peasants and commoners and non-theological scholars, most of us in this room, all of us really, we would be the ones like, Jesus, man, you got to listen to this. He's got great stuff. I believe it. He's doing some great things. Nice guy. I mean, this guy has got to have the spirit of God in him. And they're looking at the Jewish religious leaders and they're recognizing they're not buying it. Whatever Jesus is saying, they're not buying it. And so they're beginning to wonder amongst themselves if Jesus really is who he says he is, why doesn't everybody believe in him? It's a question that's rang throughout the centuries, isn't it? How could you have a wife who believes and a husband who doesn't? How could you have two brothers raised in a home that believes and one becomes a missionary and the other becomes a pornographer? How can the same seed, which is good seed, be snatched away for one person and produce a hundredfold crop for mm-hmm. another? Jesus said that the seed is a word of God. This seed, this word of God, is the only thing that Jesus mentions that has the power to change the human heart. Pastors can't talk people into it. I can't talk anybody into a heart. Motivational speakers can't talk anybody with a different heart. I've tried, you know, before I became a Christian, I've tried over and over and over and over to change myself. I didn't like being steeped in addiction. I didn't like some of the embarrassing qualities of my personality. I didn't like struggling with ADD and organs. I didn't like any of that. I tried to change all that. Part of the reason why I was even open to go to any church at some point was I recognized I can't, I can't change myself. Maybe God can If there is one. I wasn't sure there was. What Jesus is saying is the seed is the only thing that has the power to change the human heart. Preaching alone won't do it. Programs won't do it. Never substitute a trend or a fad or the hottest new thing. For the simple, systematic teaching of God's Word. If you want to experience real power, allow that seed to come in. It's real power. I mean, prophecy has a power. Raising the dead, that would be pretty powerful. Feeding thousands of people miraculously. that power. Speaking in tongues, power. Lots of things have power. But when Jesus describes the thing that has the power to change the human heart, he doesn't talk about all the gifts. He talks about the seed, which is the word of God. That is the thing which allows the Holy Spirit to come in. And then he manifests himself in all the different gifts of the Spirit. Tracking with me? And, and Jesus says, you can't really tell by looking what the seed is doing in someone, right? He, he says, you know, I mean, there are some people, I, I've had it in my life where I, I've met and worked with some people, and I'm, I, I'm telling everybody around me, you got to watch this guy. This guy is going to be incredible in ministry. He is going to be 50 times the pastor I ever could be. This guy is going to go save half of California tomorrow. This guy, you just got to wait Check this guy out. Call him up, you know. You might say, "Hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you around." Oh, yeah, I don't know. Hey, man, you gonna you, you gonna come? You know, haven't seen you in church. Or, like you come out your town? I don't know. Hey, you find different churches. Lots of good churches out there. No, nah, 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 nah. it kind of fizzles out. No seed, no word, no nothing. And then. On the flip side of that, you can find some of the most unlikely people that end up being incredible. How many of you would ever think that Bill Wright would amount to anything?
1: <laughs> Not me.
0: No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you know, we should rename our church the Church of the Unlikely. You know, I mean, you, you get, you know, some people you think, ah, you know, that, 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 that seed didn't really go in deep. And all of a sudden you got to watch what comes out of people's mouths. People can talk a good talk, but it's perseverance that defines truth. It's perseverance that defines faith. That you can walk the walk and keep going even when the storms is reaching. Even when you don't get everything you want. Even when you're depressed and demoralized. Even when it seems like the whole curtain is coming down on you. Say, so you know what? No matter what, I'm sticking with this seed. second thing is to recognize and this this is not always easy for me in fact it's never been easy but to come to the recognition that we're not naturally good soil i mean you know you ever ever read this parable and think you know i am the soil that's like the rocks you know i am among thorns i I get worried i get freaked out i want to have pleasure in life you know I want to go to Hawaii. I want to. In fact, I want to go to Fiji. You know, I want to go everywhere. I, I think all this thing. I think, oh God, you know, I am not good soil. I am not. I don't know how this thing's growing because I get worried. That, I don't know if I'm going to pay my bills. I get worried that my house is going to get foreclosed. I get worried that my wife doesn't like me anymore. I get worried that my kids think I'm a doofus. You know, I get. I get worried, <laughs> and I begin to focus on these things far more than the Word of God. So sometimes I read this story and I say, God, I'm not good soil. Living in Bakersfield has helped because I've come to realize there's no such thing as naturally good soil to plant seeds in. What does every farmer have to do in order to get a crop? What do they got to do? They got to plow, don't they? You got to plow up the soil. You know, Jesus was a carpenter, but they didn't make houses out of wood. So he wasn't that kind of carpenter. You know what Jesus most likely built maybe one or two hundred of it in a lifetime? Plows. Jesus was very familiar with how to bust up soil so that the seeds could grow. And he was a carpenter. He was a craftsman. who would... He would fasten me and build these plows and ladders and all sorts of other things that would be used as tools. I'm not naturally good soil. So what do I need to do? I need to ask God to plow up the hard areas of my heart. I need mean, I say, God, this is where I'm naturally at. I'm naturally this, I'm naturally this. I I got some laziness I got to deal with. I got some attitude towards people that need to get plowed up. I got some habits they need to go away or at least I need to get them under some semblance of control. I've got some, you know, anger that I'm struggling with. I got voices from the past that are freaking me out. I got some, you know, some dealings with the devil I got to deal with. I got all these things. God, come in and plow them away. Clear them all out. Because when all that begins to get nailed by the plow of God, all of a sudden the seed drops. And what's it dropping in? Good soil. Good soil. So it's okay if you think, man, I'm not naturally the good soil. I think I'm with the thorns. I think I'm with the rocks. I love birds. You know, It's okay to think, because what happens is God comes in and plows up the soil. He makes the good soil. You may say, well, then how does he do it? receptivity. What Jesus is going for here is not activity, but receptivity. That we would come to that point in our lives and say, God, I'm truly going to be receptive to your word. I'm truly going to be receptive because I know it's powerful. It's more powerful than any two-edged sword. It's more living and alive and active than me. And I want to live forever. It becomes our purpose. I was at a, at a different church consultant somewhere. And this one was all about purpose. Defining your purpose. And they asked us to write out our purpose. And once again, they had moderators go around all the tables. And I showed my sentence. I wrote out a purpose. Now, I've already confessed to you, I've never <coughs> get this. I wrote out my purpose. I remember the person said, that's a great start. Let's work with that. And I think my pastor could tell, you know, my head down, like, oh, it happened again. And he said, let me see that. So I slid over my paper. He looked at it, and he read it, and he smiled. He said, this needs no improvement. You stick with this the rest of your life, and you will bear fruit that lasts. Want to know what I wrote? Yeah. I just wrote a simple sentence. My purpose is to get to heaven and to take as many people with me as I can. To get to heaven and to take as many people with me as I can. Amen? Amen. Amen. To get to heaven and to take as many people with me as I can. I don't do that always well. I, I have lots of bumps along the way. I have lots of things that challenge it. I have, you know, the enemy tries to come and challenge that. But I'll tell you this right now: when you find your purpose, it strengthens you. All of a sudden, what other people say it's not as powerful, because you've got your purpose, you're going there. You want to go there. You got all these critics on, going, you go, ah, That's right. ah, <laughs> keeps walking. I know where I'm going. I don't know if you do, but I know where I'm going. Amen. Amen. <laughs> purpose gives you strength. People naturally follow people who are stronger than them. I don't mean physically. It's the strength of heart. And when you know where you're going, you'll accept your weaknesses. You'll grow in them. I need to grow in lots of them. But the focus is there. Get to heaven. I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. This morning I want to challenge you. What needs to be plowed? What needs to be cultivated? What attitude? What habit? What area of unbelief? What addiction? What anger? What thing of the past? What indifference? What emotional (laughs) googly-gook? What's some stuff that you need to put to God's plow? Because remember what comes behind it. A seed that bears fruit that lasts. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a good life. No matter what our culture is going to tell us, that is a good life. By our husband. Worship him before. (coughs) Father, this morning, I pray that you'd show us that you are both the plow and the seed. That really, what we do on our part is we become receptive. We become open. We allow it, because you won't just force your way in. We allow it. We recognize that we may be rocky soil. We may be thorny soil. We may be hardened soil like the past. We recognize that. But God, take your plow, bust up all the brokenness, and make me whole again. Of course, this morning, I would be lying to you if I didn't say that the first step in receiving the seed, the seed that has the power to change everything, is by accepting the word of God. John, The Apostle John calls Jesus the Logos, the Word, the seed. The Holy Spirit is that which springs life up in us. We get that by following Jesus and committing our lives to him why don't we all do this together, especially in our first month of our new year. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask for forgiveness. I receive your spirit. I receive your seed. May it grow in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one final song.